Case two, there's a girl that's not married, a boyfriend or somebody, gets pregnant with somebody. And this is a case where Rav David, by the way, Feinstein and Rav Palm were our rabbinical advisors during the 30, 40 years, 30 years, 34 years. The ladies, a young girl, 19, from girl, gets pregnant, okay, not married. She's sitting in the office crying. And she needs, a doctor says to abort, and she can't abort because she knows halacha. And, and, and she's healthy. She can't go, she wants a, a psak. She can't go to a rav in Eretz Yisrael because her father could find out. Okay? They call me. He says, find out two things. One, who got her pregnant? I don't need the name. Is he married or not married? She calls back, no, it's a, it's a boyfriend. And it was a mistake. She's upset. Call her back. Does she love her boyfriend? Yes. Tell her to get married. So we paid for the wedding. And everything was nice and nice and rosy. Wow, that's incredible. That's it. Influencing other people. You know, when people, people tend to gravitate towards what they think everyone else is doing. And it's so yeah. important to provide an inspiring example of, no, having a family, having even used to be, okay, have a large family was the leading edge. Now it's to have any family at all. So we, we're not pro-life and we're not pro-choice. We consider ourselves pro-chance. What is a chance? We give the woman the chance to have the baby she wants. Our social workers make them understand values, how to deal with a child and how to enjoy their pregnancy and how to carry on to build families. What you're doing is so beautiful. Is It's one thing to say, God wants this and God wants us to have children and, God, and so forth. But at the, at the, when they have the children, it's, it takes responsibility. There's a lot of expenses and so forth. And you're actually showing up to cover those expenses. You're, you're not right. just inspiring them with moving words, but saying, here, here's a check. We say to ourselves that Israel's main resource is what? It's not its grapes. It's not its wine. It's not its oranges. It's its children. You know, Israel only flourished because of its children. But we used to have our social workers go to various colleges to explain the value of having babies. And because they see their friends having two or three children, all them secular religious uh, have had an average two to three children instead of zero or one from Russia. So that's our population growth. And that's basically what we do. Thank you. Welcome to the Rabbi Smith Podcast. And here we're for 80 billion. We are making sure that we do everything possible to follow God Almighty's commandment to be fruitful and multiply, that the world is meant to be filled with good human beings. And we have with us a special guest today, Rabbi Jack Fargash, who is going to tell us about his tremendous work in being able to accomplish this. Welcome. Thank you very much, Rabbi. We know each other for a number of years. Um... Not, not too much in person in the last few years, because, of, but I've seen you before that, and, and we met about 10 years ago, I remember, uh, and at a conference or something, and then we got to friendly. We get friendly. Right, and I, I remember you telling me something, or I heard you say something that was very wise from the first moment that I uh, met you. <clears throat> you were in this, we were in that, I was like a um, workshop or seminar someone was offering on hedge funds. 
And he was right. trying to explain all th- about hedge funds. And you got up afterwards and you said, Mr. Sons, however the presenter was, thank you very much for your presentation. I have a general principle. You said, whatever I don't understand, I don't invest in. <laughs> I don't understand what you're talking about. And, I'm not, I, and you walked out. Uh, that was really, this is a really special person has the humility to be able to identify what you understand and highfalutin concepts in some financial thing, which maybe people are making a lot of money in. But if you don't understand it, why are you getting involved? And, and I really, I was impressed when you said that. Well, basically, I couldn't understand what hedge, what hedging was doing. It's a back and a forth. And with, that, um, and with the internet, with what they call them, uh, it wasn't artificial intelligence at that time, it was algorithms, algorithms. Right, 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 right. right, right. Algorithms, right. They do algorithms. So uh, algorithm, okay, whatever. So it was complicated for me. So I said, I can't do it. <laughs> let our viewers and listeners, let, let us know a little bit about your background. Well, basically, um, I went to college, obviously. I went to City College Baruch. I got a bachelor's in, in business, mostly accounting. And then I went on for a master's, which was in finance and investment. And that helped me. But I also took a lot of psychology courses, even though it was a business school. But I was always interested in psychology. And actually, I did a little work as a, as a social worker, psychology, I guess, in the beginning. Even though I had a business thing, they asked me, and I was dealing with teenagers at risk. And it was uh, very you know, risky because I was able to help out a number of children, number of teenagers. And it became frustrating because one of the teenagers, after I helped him, he went back to his friends and he just reversed himself so fast that I said, you know what, this is not for me. It was very upsetting because, you know, what was I, 20, my 20s then. And then I said, I'm going into business. Let's see, let's see if I get frustrated there also. So, so I kept going on in, in the business world and I was accounting. And then I ended up into real estate because the my clients, most of my clients were real estate, uh, architects also, not engineers, but architects of, and construction. I worked for a, a CPA firm, and those were the clients. And then eventually one of the one of the clients, which was a syndicator of real estate. Um, I was int- listening to that, and the two partners were asked me to come in and help them out in the business in managing it. And then eventually, I, as they retired or dissolved their business, uh, dissolved their partnership, rather, I took over their partnership and started to run properties. That's it. But I also um, was went to Yeshiva. I grew up in Williamsburg, not Virginia, uh, Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Um, and I went to Yeshiva Torvadas in the onset for, for uh, elementary and high school. And then I switched to Tverschleim, uh, the east side. Uh, so what, why did I switch? Because first of all, I was wanted to continue learning, but they didn't, but just, if you learned there, they wouldn't allow you to go to college. So my father was, knew Rav Moshe Feinstein, of Rav Moshe Feinstein, and he said, go to the east side <laughs> and see if they'll let you on the east, Rav Moshe, tell them, I sent you, uh, your father sent you, and you want to go to college and see if you could get into there. So this is 1960. So I go to, to Yeshiva, get in, and, I, and then I, the, the executive director said, what, where, what would you like to do? So he said, I'd like to come to Yeshiva, learn. Um, and so he said, okay, go see Rav Moshe. Time. So I go to, to his desk before 11.30. And I introduced myself, oh, naturally speaking in Yiddish. 
And he says, Shalom Aleichem, yeah. Where are you from? Where did you learn before? He said, when you want to come here, why don't you stay in Torvadas? Because you're coming over the bridge from Williamsburg to the east side. He says, well, look, I wanted to, I want to learn, and I heard a lot about the yeshiva, and I also want to go to college. Says, so in Yiddish, she says, oh, Bill's going to college? So it was a little bit funny. <laughs> so he says, because so I said, yeah, but I'll take the courses at night. And, and maybe in, in between, I'll, I'll take, there's an afternoon class, and it's not far to go to 23rd Street. Says, all right. So, yeah, Ken Sarhain came into the yeshiva. You could come into the yeshiva. Um, but here's what I'd like to ask you to do is instead of learning in the base medrash, my son, Rav David Feinstein, the God of God, a guy in Rav David Feinstein, is starting a base medrash class from high school. He was promoted. And maybe you'll go into his base medrash because we, he needs Talmidim. So I said, sure. So, you know, so I, so I was one of the first classes of Rav David. It was the first class of Rav David in the base medrash. And that's how I became friendly with Rav David Feinstein. It was my Rav, my, my mentor. And I ended up in the yeshiva from 1960 to 1967. And eventually, um, at the last three or four years, three years or so, I went down to, to the main base medrash to Rav, Rav Moshe. And um, being that I wanted to go to business school, I was interested in Dini Mamnes. I wasn't interested in Shrita, basically. So I was called in every once in a while when there was a Din Torah, not a Din Torah, but the beginnings of Din Torah in, um, with another friend of mine, um, Howard Zuckerman, Oliver Shalom, who was my Chavrus at the time. And you we were able to listen in uh, business interests and, and stuff like that. that. That's basically it. And then I went into uh, to work in 1967. Uh, after I got married, I needed Hanasa, so I went to work. Mm -hmm. But so I kept up my relationship with Rav, right. with Rav, with the yeshiva for many, many years. And in fact, an interesting story, in 19, no, 12 years ago, let's put it this way, I think about 12, 13 years ago, I got a call from Rav David, going Rav David Feinstein. Um, I need you to join the board, MTJ, Tresh So I said, um, Rav David, it's a, uh, it's, it's 50 years ago. I was there 48 years ago. Uh, why do you need me to join the board? So he says, well, we need, we need to fill up the board because a number of the uh, board members were NIFTA and we have to increase it. So I said, so get somebody younger. So he says, no, no, I need you. And, we, and two other guys from our year or the year after were also entered into the board because um, you were the first class with me and you're Mishpacha. So I said, how am I Mishpacha? So I said, well, I'll tell you how much more. Because of you, I kept my job. So I said, what do you mean? So I said, because of you, I got into the base marriage year. Otherwise, I'd still be in high school. So that uh, was, so I said, okay, so I'm in. So that's, I'm on the board still to church line with uh, some great guys. And unfortunately, uh, Rev. David was nifta in, in the middle of COVID, he got sick. And it's another, another interesting story. He calls me during COVID and he wasn't, he was sick at the time. He had some lung stuff. And he says, uh, I want you to be the Rav Moshe Feinstein awardee. So I said, Shuldig Rav David, you know, I, I always refused because I wanted to always, because I didn't want, I always wanted to be journal chairman. I didn't want to bother my uh, friends or business people. He says, no, no, you got to do me a favor. It's difficult. So I said, 
you know, I'm, I will tell you, Rosh Shiva, Rav Moshe used to say, don't take covet. So that's why I don't want to be in the Yawadi, because you're giving me an honor. So he says, oh, that's what you always told me all the years. I says, yeah. So, so, so I said, what's different? He says, this year, I... so he says, you know, it's not going to be, a, you're not going to be an honoree. It's going to be a tircha for you. What is a tircha? It's going to be uh, effort. Work. An effort. Effort. So I said, okay, you know what? I'll do it. So naturally, I, I was one of the honorees at the dinner during the COVID. We didn't have a real dinner. It was a, uh, what do they call that? A Zoom dinner. Live, live stream. That, that's my experience with, with my early days. And then I went into business, obviously. Wow, that's beautiful. So what was it like learning with Rav Meish and Rav David? Oh, it was, it was really Rav David. Well, start with Rav David. He's a great um, teacher. He was Masbio, uh, a Gemara, all, all, wrote in all kinds of different version, all kinds of different um, experience, not only in the, I think, and I remember we learned Sanhedrin, um, Bob Messiah also, and it was such that he gave life information, also current information on, on the Gemara as it came about, and his Chumashir Shiorim were also fascinating, um, bringing information uh, from the Torah and from different sources that I mean, you could read some of his, some, I think they're coming out. No, there was Rav Moshe. Rav Moshe's Sefer was, was on the Chumash also. It was called um, Paul Rum. So, and now it's in English, obviously. If anybody wants to buy it, an art scroll, it was the Pasha Shvua in art scrolls. Phenomenal people that can't read the, the Vrit could read it in English now. It's two volumes, an art scroll. I think I have a copy of it. I'll tell you what the name is. Oh, yeah, here it is. It's, it's Sefer Kol Rum of Rav Moshe. And it's from Art Scroll. And it gives the weekly parashas and it really fills in of what these shurim were from Rav David and Rav, Rav Moshe, basically. And, um, and Rav Moshe's share, this is very interesting to know. He gave the share about 11, 11.30. And at 1.30 was Mincha. But to show you the Gvura from Rav Moshe was as follows. Every major organization <laughs> was waiting online at 1.30 to see him. You had in the room, you had the Aguda, Rav Shera. You had the, the head of the OU at that time. Oh, Rav, was Rabbi um, Karasik, Yosef Karasik. And from the National Council of Young Israel was Rabbi Stern, all with Shilas, and they're in line. And every few days, no, it's every week. Every week they would switch who they would switch who would go first to go into the after Minchadur. So that was the Ashtas then. So that was the Gvura of Ramosha. Everybody came to see him, everybody came to ask questions, Shilas. And even I remember of Salvechik was a cousin from Yeshiva University. Of Salvechik, the, the uh, secretary was a, the Gaba actually would call, come in and say, Salvechik is on the phone. Um, Rabbi Salvechik is on the phone against the Red Mitten yet. Says either he would go into the library and talk to him or he says, I'll call him back. And that was the 
that was uh, the way things worked in the yeshiva. Wow. Yeah, it's very, very exciting. Yeah, I can, I can imagine you're giving a, giving a flavor then. So fast. Actually, you could, yeah. you could go to the base medrash. It looks, you could go to the base medrash now on the lower east side. Rabbi Beryl Feinstein now. Rabbi Beryl Feinstein is now the Rosh Hashiva. You could come for Shiurim there. It's all open. Welcome at any time. And um, Friday, Rabbi David used to give his Plumish here. Rabbi Beryl gives it now. But there's all these Shiurim. And you could listen to Rabbi Beryl because he will he will give over information from what his, his father. Ah, from Rabbi David. Wow. Okay. So if you're going down there one time, maybe I'll. Uh... Join you for a visit. Give me a tour. You can go anytime. They'll give you a tour. Don't worry. You don't need. You don't need me. I, I'll need to mention your name. To, so. Oh, the door's open. Don't worry. Just say you're looking for me. <laughs> okay. Very good. Beautiful. So, thank you for giving us that background. Now, tell us about this incredible organization that you started. And you're involved with uh, saving people from abortions in the Holy Land. It just sounds like very, very moving. You reached out to me after I. Uh, published a Substack post um, with the proclamation from the Jewish Pro-Life Foundation saying right. that abortion is something that's forbidden according to Jewish law. And you reached out to me right away and you started to tell me about your incredible organization. So tell me tell me what you're doing, how you're saving lives. Okay, so here's, here's the way it started. I'm sitting in a hotel in Shalim in 1986, I believe, 87. And I'm reading the, new, the Jerusalem Post. In the Jerusalem Post, there's an article in 1985, I guess it's a year behind or two years behind, 1986, stating that uh, 120 pregnancies this year, that year, and 105,000 children were born, uh, Baruch Hashem. You know, and they give accolades to the country that there's birth. And I'm looking, I'm saying, hey, what happened to the other 15,000? Right? So I look down and I see that various women aborted during various reasons, and they explained the five categories where you could go through it. And one of them was social stress and poverty. And I said, oh, that doesn't make too well because my family, my, unfortunately, my father's family were all killed in the Holocaust. And I, and I recognize a million five children were killed by the Nazis during the Holocaust, and I decided this, to call my friend, Dr. Shimon Glick, who was the dean at that time of the Ben-Gurion University School of Medicine, and also uh, the head, one of the heads of Soroka Hospital in the Be'er Sheva. And he was a friend of mine from Brooklyn. We grew up uh, in the same shul on Coney Island Avenue. And I say, Shimon, do me a favor, read the Jerusalem Post, this in this page, and I'll call you back. So I don't have it. I says, you get it and call me back. So he calls me back. He says, yeah, what's the question? So I explained to him, look, um, what, what does Soroka Hospital do in this case? Because it says that 30 hospitals or 20 hospitals, 25, at that time it's 25, now it's about 35 hospitals. 25 hospitals, that's um, performed um, abortion based on these five categories. Other categories were incest, obviously, okay. Um, um, women, where the, where the child, where the, where the woman's life is at risk. Okay, I didn't get into that. But I said, how about social stress and, po and poverty? Says, yeah, so here's what, what did we do in Soroka? It does occur, but if I hear about that, there's some doc some of the doctors call me and tell me this is the issue. Can you see if you could help? 
says, yeah, so what I do is my, I ask my father if it's poverty. He has his pension. He lives in Israel and he has some money. I don't have big money because I don't pay me that much. So he gives me some money and I give it. So I said, well, how many women do you do? Is it two, three, four, whatever comes up? He says, you know what, Shimon? Meet me in your Shalayim. I'll give you money now. And I'll see if I could get my friends to get raised. We'll raise some money and I'll supply you with some money. So he comes and we sit down with Rabbi Salman Shafman, Allah Shalom. And, uh, and we decide we're going to start an Amutan Israel. And we're going to start an, a C, 501c3 in America for contributions to be donated. And our people get a deduction. So I find this attorney um, in Israel who happened to be Manny Quint, um, who was Rabbi Manny Quint, who I knew also that made Aliyah. He sets up the Amutah, and his law firm in America sets up the 5013C, because he was still connected. And it's 34 years now. Baruch Hashem, we've successfully accomplished over 20,000 babies born in 34 years. And most of our sources comes from Sharit Tzedek Hospital that does not perform abortion, but does get cases of severe stress. Poverty, obviously, because most of the, I would say 70% of the cases are Yerushalayim area. Bet Shemesh is another 15%. And then because there's no hospital in Bet Shemesh, everybody goes to Sharit Tzedek or Hadassah. And we get about 300 cases of the 500 cases a year from Bet Shemesh from Sharit Tzedek. In fact, here's a picture of me at Bet Shemesh. Could you see that? With the, with the head of the NIC unit. What's a NIC unit? When a woman's baby is understood that it's going to be a preemie, she panics. And the NIC unit uh, doctor ref refers many cases to us because either it's poverty or stress. And I'll give you some examples of cases. We also got a letter from, from this Dr. Shen showing us the cases, I mean, complimenting us for helping out the organization, um, for helping out his hospital rather. So they have annually 20,000 babies to 22,000 babies born a year. It's the largest birth in a hospital in Israel and maybe many, probably whole Europe because Europe now is negative birth. Unfortunately, there's my, it's, it's, not one, it's not even one to one child to one family. It's a little bit less. And America is going that way also, you should know, because uh, people don't get married, people don't want babies, live stream, I don't know, doesn't help for them. Okay, so I formed this organization and we decide- Don't keep us in suspense. What's the name of the organization? Oh, wait one second. So I'm gonna tell you. The okay. name of the organization is called Just One Life. And it was fun function based, it was formed basically on Kolomakayim Nefesh Achat, the Israel. And that's what we call ourselves in Israel. The organization is called Nefesh Achat Yisrael. It's an it's a amuta, separate. And this is just one life. So we say, he who saves just one life in Israel is as if he saved the entire world. And that's basically our organization. So we we have a little. I'll show you this little brochure if I could show it to you. This mm -hmm. is our brochure. So on the brochure, we say to ourselves that Israel's main resource is what? It's not its grapes, it's not its wine, it's not its oranges, it's its children. You know, Israel only flourished because of its children. Okay, so we also say, 
and, and obviously my whole family was, my father's and my grandfather's whole family was wiped out. And that's basically why I started it. So we, we're not pro-life and we're not pro-choice. We consider ourselves pro-chance. What is a chance? We give the woman the chance to have the baby she wants. We don't come and scream. We don't. We get the, the woman who has her complications. Most of it is, I have seven social workers working for us there in on 16 King George Street in, in Israel, in Yerushalayim, actually, on the, main, the main hub where Ben Yehuda meets King George Street. And we have interns from Wurzweiler School and Barulan that are studying for social work. So therefore, we are really a professional social worker organization, which can give a woman a check. Got it? So if it's poverty, she comes, she explains the situation. We get, get mostly referrals, as I said, from Sharet Tzedek, from Kupat Holim, from other sources of, um, what do they call them, urgent care clinics, where the gynecologist identifies a stress on the woman. And I'll give you five, four, three or four examples of a typical case. Case number one, a lady is pregnant, has two children, Yishlein, from lady, and her husband walks out on her in the middle of pregnancy, and he's the main source of income. Got it? Well, she's usually taking care of the kids or she's working on it. She's in stress. She's, she, she's desperate. Okay, she comes to our office, explains the situation. And I met this lady, actually, one or two ladies like this. Oh, yes. I mean, I have pictures. I don't know if I want to show them. So, so she comes to our office, and the social workers say, what's the case? My husband walked out on me. Okay, I'm in, I'm trying to get a get. I'm pregnant. What do I do? Okay. So if that case comes to the hospital, I don't want to mention names and tell tell a viv, let's say, they'll tell it to the court. We're gonna tell her we're gonna help you through the situation. We give her money. Money. Okay, after the pregnancies, three months after pregnancy, the government gives stipends to every child born, if you're rich or poor, up until I think age 12 or 13, you could check it. So she's financially okay after that. But, but during her pregnancy and her stress, she's devastated. Now she'll have the baby, she'll be happy. Got it? And we'll still give her money. She needs money after two months, three months. And, and Rosh Hashanah and, and Pesach, we always give to those cases that are still needy. We still distribute checks to them. Okay? So that's case one. Case two, there's a girl that's not married that gets pregnant from a boyfriend or somebody, gets pregnant from somebody. And this is a case where Rav David, by the way, Feinstein and Rav Palm were our rabbinical advisors during the 30, 40 years, 30 years, 34 years. So I get a case, the, the lady's a young girl, 19, from girl, from girl, gets pregnant, okay, not married. She's sitting in the office crying and she needs, a doctor says to abort, and she can't abort because she knows halacha. And, and, and she's healthy. She can't go, she wants a, a psak. She can't go to a rav in Eretz Yisrael because her father could find out. Okay? They call me. Call Rav David. What do you do? So he calls me back. He says, find out two things. One, who got her pregnant? I don't need the name. Is he married or not married? In other words, he's doing this adultery, whatever you call it. 
Okay, then the next thing, she calls back, no, it's a, it's a boyfriend that she was, and it was a mistake, she's upset. Okay, call her back, does she love her boyfriend? Yes. Tell her to get married. That's it. So we paid for the wedding and everything was nice and nice and rosy. So that's it. She didn't tell anybody and it was an early stage. And here's an, another case. Here's the best, one of the best cases. I'm gonna show you the picture of this because this is one of our great cases. And it involves a lady is pregnant with quadruplets. Okay, a, a master case. And they tell her to fetal reduce because she weighs 110 pounds. So she's in the, in the hospital still. She can't fetal reduce. She's 110 pounds. She has two kids. The doctor tells her, you're in jeopardy. You're risking yourself. You're risking everybody. So Dr. Shimon Glick, my buddy, I call him up. This is, goes back 1996. So, yeah. He says, I'll come to the, to, to the hospital and I'll get Dr. Ornat from Teleshoma Hospital. He's the chief radiologist in, the, in Israel. He's the top guy. Comes, reads the sonogram. Lady, everything looks fine. You're very small girl. You need bed rest. You have two other kids. I can't tell you what to do, but you really can't run around. What does your husband do? He's a rough and he's a rebbe in the yeshiva. Oh, if he doesn't work for three months, will he get paid? No. Okay. Rains, not money only, but the social workers will hire 1996 some Russian ladies to babysit and take care of all the shopping and all the other kids and have a bed rest. Have it come up, she go around, but not exert herself. It cost us, let's say, 10 shekels a day, an hour, 12 shekels in those days. I mean, talking back, we hired two Russian ladies for two shifts. Baruch Hashem, she has four naturally born quadruplets in 1996. Could you see the picture? Yes. Okay. Beautiful. That's them. Wow. Right. They are now, now 24 years old, 23, 24. You know, little, three of them are married with children already. Um, this is my son when he went to visit them at two years old. Wow. And this is, a, this is the other picture. This is actually the mother and father. And they're very proud. And they now, they, after that, she had twins. And eventually she has 11 children. I think the first two married already. And three out of the quadruplets are married already. Wow. Um, two of them are learning in Hebron Yeshiva, Yerushalayim, um, and one is working as a liaison someplace, I don't know where, the community, and Parosha, they're thriving. And he's still teaching as a Rebbe. And that's, that's the story. So these are, this is what's going on. So, so we got letters from, actually, there's letters from Shari Tzedek, from the Nick unit, from the head of Sonogram and others, because they could rely on us for one reason. As a social worker need, when you, the minute the lady that's pregnant has an issue, leaves the social worker who's in the hospital and for 20,000 cases, they maybe have two or three social workers there. That lady no longer can have the access to a hospital social worker because she's not in the hospital. So we get the case, basically. If they want a social worker from 
that's connected to the government or to the, to the, to the, to the area, it takes three months to get social worker. We could do it on Zoom, we could do it in the office, we could do it by phone. And we could also write a check. A social worker in the hospital cannot write a check for poverty. A social worker in, in the regular community cannot write a check. Got it? So we could, if we could give a subsidy, we could give stipends. Here's our letters from Sharit Sedek. From This is from the top doctor that, that I just visited actually, from the fetal animali clinic. So this is, oh yeah, also, what is that? So, so a woman has um, fertility pills, got it? So she could be older and have, the, and have the baby at 32 or 34 or 36, not at 24 when she's married, because she, it took time until it developed. So she's older. She may not know how to care for a baby as she never had one. So she has to come to get training by us. She has to come to, to, to emotionalize with us. And some of the ladies, by the way, and some of them are from ladies that, ne that never, got never got married or they never had a child, they don't have a husband. It's, not, it's even worse for them because they're the emotionally strained. I'm pregnant, Oi, hey, what am I gonna do now? I don't, I don't know how to deal with it. I'm usually running around with my friends. I'm usually, you know, so she has to know how to take care of the baby. So for the first, for the first three months also, you cannot, after the baby is three months old, you can put a baby in daycare in Israel, free. Got it? So that's another source that we have that we could direct them what to do. As another example, a lady has four kids and she's in, this is a real case, and she was only in a one bedroom. She couldn't deal with it. We had a relationship with the Ministry of Housing and she was on what you call welfare. I don't know exactly what they call it there. And she needed a second bedroom. She needed another apartment and then she was subsidized, subsidized housing. So we were able to call the Minister of uh, of welfare, and they got her right away in your slime, right where she lived, another apartment with a two bedroom. Okay, and and the so and the whatever they paid, whatever the government subsidizes, was still subsidized. I'll give you even a, be, a better story. Last Sukkot, I was in Eretz Yisrael, and I went on a tour with Mati uh, Dan and Dan Luria of Shiva Terakohanim. What is Shiva Terakohanim? They are existing in the in in Yerushalayim. In the old city, but many of their families live in the so-called Muslim Christian quarter. So it was a very interesting tour. And there's almost 80 to 90 families living there with about 700 people because everybody has three, four, five kids. So we visited some families. Go in, everybody's pregnant. <laughs> it's amazing. It's a kid of Hashem. So I'm, I'm delighted. And I say to Mati, people living in poverty. Why do they live here? It says because the rent is cheap. Because it's very it's somewhat dangerous. And they they own these buildings from donations and from government, whatever. I don't know exactly how it works. And their rent is not as expensive. If you lived in the Jewish quarter, the rent, let's say, would be four thousand, five thousand, six thousand shekels for the apartment. Over here it's a thousand, whatever. Or it's subsidized. Because so you know what? We will Give any baby, I gotta pull, gotta find this. Any baby born in the last, from when I'm here, some shekels, not as a, as a, um, give it, not as a donation, but as a gift for having a baby. So they accept, okay? So in 
since, so he said, so he calls me back. I have 20 names now. Would you accept these 20 names? I said, yeah, why not? So he says, but some of them are, are before Sukkot. They're in July. I says, okay, what's the difference? So I get this letter from him. These are the, I need to know the names. I'm not giving you a blank check. I have to give the check according to the thing. I can't give a check to a to yeshiva. I have to give the check according to our Amuta to the person that comes with a referral. Lo and behold, one of their main people with a contact is a nurse in Sharetzedek Hospital, and she's going to refer them. So I get names from, from the Yemenite village. Mishpachas, Hashon, Sarah. Next one is, hold on, so I got 20, 19 names, I'm sorry, 19 names from when I left was September, this is November 22, I get 19 names. Okay, I now have already 33 babies. Okay, oh, this is, these are the names. Then I get a letter from him. One second. It gives me a plaque, basically. I'm going to have to frame this. And it's to Jack, with Jack Hayakar, and all the ladies that are working in our, in our Amuta, but taking care of the family's babies that were born. And that's signed by, by the babies, Yeladot, Meshpachot, Ho'ira, Tika. This is, this I like. <laughs> this is wow. That shows what we did for them. And so now the question is, here's the question. You ready for this? This is a little Dvartar I give you. If you if your people like to accept it, why when a chassan kala is married, do they say under the chuppah, they sing in meshkech Not everybody does it, but a lot of people that I've been to chassanas do. Why is the chassan translate 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 for the viewers that don't know the Hebrew? Oh, so you'll do the translation. If I forget Jerusalem, right from the book of my right hand. Should be damaged. So they. So what? So what is this? What does this mean? Why should a, a person color be burdened to remember the destruction of the base Hamikdash, right? Of the Holy Temple, right? Why should they, of the, the Holy Temple right? of this great joy? Why would they be burdened to remember some tragedy, right? Why? Why are they responsible? So the last few lines are. Right? That's the last word. It's the it is the mountain, Yishlaim is the mountain of Simcha. It's not the mountain of Tsar, not the mountain of it's the mountain of Simcha means the mountain of joy, not the mountain of Tsar. So that's why they are saying it, because they should recognize and remember that Yishlaim is our Simcha. So, so what's the connection? The connection is to the last bracha, the last um, benediction that, that they receive under the chuppah. There are seven brachas, right? So it's kol chasan, kol chala. So I just have to get that for a second. And that, I want to be prepared with it. Yeah, the last just to, while you're looking up, it says, just to the, uh, so our viewers and listeners could, you, you recorded before from Psalm 137. Verse 5, 
It says, if I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand wither. Right. And then it says, um, that my tongue stick to my palate if I do not, if I cease to think of you, if I do not keep Jerusalem in memory, even at my happiest hour. And then you were quoting from another, that's, that's the most, that's the verse you were quoting from, right. It's the, it's the height of our happiness. Right, it's the height of the Shalim is the height of our happiness. So, how is it the height of happiness? How does it relate? It goes back to the seventh blessing under the clipper, under the canopy of where they're being, um, where they're being, uh, I would say, um, blessed. Okay, so it starts Ashabara, Sasan the Simcha, where of Simcha again, joy, Hasan the Kala, Gila, Rina, the Dietzel, heaven. Okay, and then it goes on, Mehera, Shemalokeno. God will recognize and be glorified. Yeshama biyara Yehuda the chutzos Yishalayim. In the mountains of Yehuda, of Judah, and in the streets of Jerusalem. Kol sason the kol simcha. Again, they repeat the word simcha. But what does it mean? It means when will Hashem be glorified? When will he be ignited and, and, and joyed? When kol natsalos, when he hears the voices when he hears the voices and the dancing of the children in Jerusalem. Got it? So if there are no children, Hashem is not happy. And our objective in our organization is children. It's Israel's main resource and it's, and it's God's main vision. Because if you look in the, in the Chumash, Whenever they say somebody's name, let's say Shua Ben Nun, they talk about him and the and he's the son of. Okay, so they and we are called Bene Israel, children of Israel. We're not called Israel. We're called Bene Israel. So the word of children always personifies itself. That is one thing. That how do we know that a fetus is a is a live being? Because it talks about it in. Harshus, um, Yitzhak, when he had sons, when Rivka was pregnant, it discusses the two children, it says the children were fighting amongst each other in the belly, in the womb of the mother. It doesn't say the fetus was doing it, right? It could have said something was banging in the, in the belly of the, of the mother. But it doesn't, say so, it doesn't say something. It says the children, mm. children it actually identifies what's there. So we have to be cognizant of the fact that there are that there are different ver different issues taking place in America and in the world that they don't consider children as much as we do in our Jewish value system. Okay, it's only because of children that our Mesora, our destiny, is complied with, and I appreciate Rabbi Smith for for, de for dedicating. This few times for us to talk, and if anyone has um, interest, they could email me j f o r g a s h at aol if they want more information. Shows how old I am. Anybody know what aol is? <laughs> and, it, and no, it's no period. It's j the initial j f o r g a s h. And if you want to go to the website in America, it's www.justonelife.org. Org. Or in Israel, 
It's www nefesh achat n e f e s h a c h a t a t not dot i l dot c o i l c o. That's the way it works. And if anyone donates in America, the five hundred one c three takes place, and we wire the money constantly to Israel, and we're flourishing flourishing to the fact that we're excited. We have never had any negative response from our professional social workers who are very well trained and they specifically do this 24 seven at any time they could be called upon from the hospital or from Sharetzedek or from other doctors or nurses, or actually we get referrals from patients that we had taken care of two, three years ago that refer their, their friends who are in stress and need. And that's basically what we do. Thank you, Rabbi Smith. Is anything you're else so, you need to ask me? Oh, you're so welcome. First of all, thank you. Thank you so much for everything you're doing. Really, on behalf of God Almighty's main vision, as you said, which is there should be more good human beings in the world, good Jews and good human beings. And it's just so moving to hear you speak. You know, the Torah talks about that the Egyptians were afraid of the increase in the Jewish population. They said, Pen Yerbu, lest right. the Jewish people should increase. And they came up with all kinds of schemes to reduce. The reproduction of the Jews, and uh, but then God Almighty made it Ken Yerbu that they actually the Jews nevertheless, despite all the opposition, despite all the hardships to try to distract people from having children, nevertheless the Jewish people increased. And and what you're doing is you're really making Ken Yerbu. Your twenty thousand Jewish lives are right squarely on your shoulders as as you've take, undertaken to help bring those mothers to really fulfill their heart's desires, which is to have that child. Not on that, but the, the, the ladies that we did, that our social workers make them understand values, how to deal with a child and how to enjoy their pregnancy and how to carry on to build families. So as a good example, our birth rate in Israel now is 2.7 to one. We also, if you know, Russians that used to come in had zero or one child. Our originally, <clears throat> so during the period of time, not, it's not all our success that we did, it, but we used to have our social workers go to various colleges to explain the value of having babies. And because they see their friends having two or three children, all them secular religious uh, have had an average two to three children instead of zero or one from Russia. So that's our population growth. Well, wow, that's incredible. That's it. Influencing other people, you know, when people people tend to gravitate towards what they think everyone else is doing. And it's so yeah. important to provide an inspiring example of no, having a family, having even used to be, okay, have a large family was the leading edge. Now it's to have any family at all is uh really the leading edge. And, and we need to inspire people to be able to do that and 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 to show them and to support them. And I think what what you're doing also, which is is so beautiful, is it's one thing to say, God wants this and God wants us to have children and God, so forth. But at the, at the, when they have the children, it's, it takes responsibility. There's a lot of expenses and so forth. And you're actually showing up to cover those expenses. You're you're not right. just inspiring them with moving words, but saying, here, here's a check to pay the bills. Right. We, why, we ACH, I think it's called, to their checking account, to their account. So they have it. So also one thing I want to tell it, we it's also, you, know, you mentioned that not, not all the people are, are know Hebrew. I assume there's some Christians on yours. 
So the Kufai, Christians United for, for Israel, has been visiting our um, offices three times. Reverend Hege has, has gone there three times over the last few years. And I think he's going this May, May, no, I'm sorry, um, July, July also to visit us. And we do get some funding from his organization, but he's so satisfied because it shows the Christian Judeo values that they believe in also. And, and, and there's also a reverend um, from Virginia that visits us um, to learn what we do. And there were social workers from all Roberts College that found out what we do from, I don't know, from Googling us, five or seven social workers, I think it was seven, came to Israel on their tour and they wanted to see our office and meet with our social workers. And that was accomplished. This goes back before the pandemic. So we encourage, um, if you want to come to visit our office and learn more about it, email me and, and put your phone number. Sure, we're going to we're going to put your email up available for everyone who's watching. Oh, now, it's so beautiful to see. And, and let me give you Rabbi Katz's email also, because um, he is the executive director. He's our fundraiser. We have one fundraiser, basically, Rabbi Katz and a young lady that works for us. And and you could speak with him also. It's mcats at justonelife.org, right? mcats, m-k-a-t-z at justonelife.org. And he, did, and he would want to go on one of the podcasts also because I told him I was doing it and he got jealous. <laughs> okay, good. Well, tell, yes, whenever anyone emails uh, Rabbi Forgash or Rabbi Katz, tell them that you saw and learned about them on the Rabbi Smith podcast. And, and we want everyone to raise rise to the, the occasion. I see that uh, Rabbi Forgash here, his tremendous emotion this is so moving and uh i i've merited thank god to also contribute um in in the saving lives of children from abortion and so and i cried every time i wrote a check it's just so moving to be able to to participate in this way oh so let me I, let me just show you two, one more picture ah excellent here's the picture of me and jared Sedek hospital with our some of our social workers and the head of the right? NICU unit and this lady, Yehuda Ackerman, was so responsible for helping the women that come to their hospital to come see us who are in distress. And here's another picture in our office in Shalayim with, with the social workers and babies that were born when mothers brought them over. Um, no, we didn't want the mother's picture in it because of confidentiality, obviously, which we respect. And there was one more picture I wanted to show you. Yeah. One second. Yeah, it's me and my wife. And actually, this is our social worker. Our first head social worker retired a few years ago. And two and twins that were born over wow. the years. Yeah. That is so moving. And for the people that are uh, listening to this podcast, to make sure to try to watch it, um, the video, so you can see the picture, the beautiful pictures that I forgot to sharing. I wanted to... You know, share with you that, as you know, the Lubavitch Rebbe spent a lot of time talking against family planning and talking about the importance of welcoming every child into the world. Correct. Right. And and the Rebbe said specifically, you know, you know, we have a special obligation as the Jewish people because of the elimination of so many Jewish uh, people, and as you mentioned, so many children in the Holocaust, the obligation to bring, to have as big as families as possible, to bring um us up to where we should have been and would have been um but for 
the terrible atrocities of, of murdering so many Jews, and that you're definitely doing that. And also, the Rebbe, as we've talked about, you've seen in my Substack posts, the Rebbe put a particular emphasis also that we have a responsibility in in the land of Israel to make sure that there's no abortions. Not even an Arab woman should not have an abortion in the land of Israel. And I think uh, you read that um, right. beautiful, moving story that I, I find very moving, where the the Sadegur Rebbe came to the Lubavitch Rebbe. And he was, they were discussing the fact that the Israeli secular doctors were pushing the young Israeli couples and since the 1960s and 70s, pushing them to have fewer and fewer children. And they were discussing that there should be government incentives to have more children. And the Sadegur Rebbe expressed concern that that money should stay in the hands of the religious Jewish party so that it shouldn't go into the, it shouldn't be used to fund um, Arab family growth. And so Lubavitch Rebbe objected to that. And he said, no, on the contrary, the money should be available to every single family in the Holy Land, every, Jewish and Arab families, should have access to funding because we as the Jewish people have an obligation to prevent um, even an Arab abortion. And the Rebbe said, some people accuse me of being pro-Arab, but this is our obligation. This is, this is our obligation to support every single human being and make sure that there is no Arab abortion in the land of Israel. And so my question to you, Forgash, is, and I know that you've, you've you know, put yourself and devoted yourself into this. How can we broaden the picture over here? And maybe other organizations should be set up. But we have in the Holy Land, we have non-Jewish families that need this kind of support. In the United States of America, six out of 10 black pregnancies in the city of New York ended in abortion. God, what a terrible tragedy going on as we speak. What could we do? Maybe someone is going to listen to this. I've always wished that we could set up parallel organizations to yours and maybe learn from your wisdom on how to so, do this, to, so to bring this problem, to the streets of America and to, to the streets of Ramallah and then every other place. So the problem with, with us for America is it's very costly. For instance, for us to save a baby could be $1,500, $2,000. Because the government, after that, gives the subsidy automatically to a baby, to a child that's born, if you're rich, you're poor. People in Ranana, they get the money anyway, even their billionaires are millionaires. Here it would cost us $20,000 to work a baby. Why? Because the social workers get paid four times what a social worker gets paid in Israel. And, and if I give $2,000, it's not enough. It lasts in one day in America, two days, whatever. So, so we have no objection to anybody that wants to come in and learn how to do this in Israel. But in America, I don't, I can't see how to, I could organize it unless somebody comes that said, let's say the, the, I don't know, the Jewish, the UJA or J, uh, Federation or, or uh, Kufi or, or what's the Catholic Charities wants to come, we can explain to them how it works. It's very easy. Example, we had Christian girls that came on kibbutz to work for us that got pregnant in Israel and wanted the babies. Gladly come in and we took care of it. She eventually settled in Israel. I don't know if she if she ma married the, the Israeli that got her pregnant, I'm not sure, but what, we didn't follow up on that. And then we had some Arab ladies that came in also that from Sharit Tzedek that, that had stress. Um, I would be remiss if I didn't show these two pictures. One is, this picture is Rabbi Katz, who's dedicated his life for 33 years um, with us raising the funds in different communities, different places. And He's been with us, and he's he actually wants to come and speak with on the next podcast. And he's got he's got his own store, stuff. Okay. And then this is Rabbi Katz with our social workers, and actually one lady with her two babies. 
she was also in the middle of the divorce. She had one before, and then in the middle of the, of the she was pregnant for the second one, and the husband left her and said, abort, I don't want that baby. And we helped her get her get, not religious lady. Not only did we help her that, but we helped her psychologically to survive and, pers and per persevere to have her baby, have a baby. And this is again, our social workers when I was in the office, this was in Sukkot, and I'm sorry, this is, yeah, when I was in the office Sukkot time to meet with our, our people before I went to the old city. And these are all our social workers and one or two ladies that had babies or were being taken care of and they didn't mind being photographed at the time. So, and if there's another two organizations in Israel follow the method of just one life, we don't care because for fertility, there's seven organizations running around, going around and doing great work. But for some reason, we are the ones that have the professional social work. We worked on it and we're thriving. And, and the smiles on our social workers face when the baby, when a lady comes in her tsar, her, 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 her aggravation, even if she's aggravating, they don't. They still smile for just to welcome her in. Just you came in. When she walks out, she's smiling. Okay, and we got dozens of letters, hundreds of letters from different ladies that are that are so happy with what we do for them. Okay, I don't want to take your peoples up on a podcast too long, and I know the rabbi has to go pray mincha now. Uh, but it's a pleasure. It's wonderful. Man. Thank you so much, Rabbi Forgesh. Thank you for inspiring our generation. And and what I what I my prayer is that those listening from the younger generation should see your example of what it means to be truly moved, that it's coming from your soul for the well-being of God Almighty's vision for the world. And, and that as you've cried a number of times on this podcast, which I'm grateful for you crying on this podcast, to, that this shows that it's really a matter of the soul. It's really a matter of the soul and the heart of us to, to love the divine presence in the world so much that we want to have more human beings in the world who are created in God Almighty's divine image and both Jewish people and non-Jewish people that they should be, have the joy. As it says, the real eternity for a human being is in this physical world is through having offspring and to have the joy of having children. And, and there should be no impediments to that. And we should be live and with joy in God Almighty's world of abundance. The God of abundance has created us to bring more life in the world. So I, God bless you and your family you should have much nachas from your children and Thank from you. all your 20,000 children. Oh, uh, you should have on them and and uh, and inspire the rest of us to do and follow in your example and and bring the ultimate redemption of the entire world. It says that the Mashiach is not going to come. The ultimate redeemer of the Jewish people of the entire world is not going to come until there's completed the descent of every single soul in the pool of souls is brought down into a human right. body. Only then Mashiach will come. So by not only are we doing what's right by bringing more children to the world, but we're actually hastening the joyous occasion for when the, we're going to have the rebuilding of Yerushalayim, the rebuilding of the Holy Temple. The whole world is going to have a house of prayer. As God Almighty says, my house of prayer is a house of prayer for all the nations. You're an instrumental part in that. We should all join you in supporting what you're doing and set up parallel organizations to expand and help you expand your reach and help expand the reach of this message for the entire world in every single country. Every single well, human being should reach by this. And I repeat, if anybody would email me and wants to help us to, to meet somebody with that, give us financing fine, or if they want to come and join us in the New York office, which is uh, in Manhattan, to help out either way or to learn more about it, we will be glad to welcome them. All right, Fergus, tell us about your plans to expand. Uh, well, we've been trying to 
in Bet Shemesh now, there's a city in Bet Shemesh, which is huge. Over the last few years, there's 200,000 people living there now. And there is no hospital. So they all go to the hospital in Shari Tzedek or Hebrew University, Hadassah Hospital, as I mentioned. We want to open there. Why? Because if a lady is in Bet Shemesh, she can't come to our office. It's pregnant. She's 45 minutes by bus away. And we have two social workers actually that live in Bet Shemesh, so they would like to have the open office. It could cost us another $7,500,000 to open the office. But if I take that 100000 or 75000 away, I'm losing cases in general in Yushalayim or in Bet Shemesh of subsidizing. So I need somebody to, to come up and give us a nice donation. We'll name the office after that, their family. And, and the people say, oh, you're in Yushalayim. I can't deal with it. I can't come in. I'm, I'm not going to be helped. Or she'll speak to the person on the office, but she's really not helped. Because once she comes in and sees the social worker, they they're with each other. She sees a person instead of the, on the phone or Zoom. We did, ban it. we did the pandemic on Zoom, mostly, and we had 600 cases. Why? Because there was more stress to the people. What was the stress? People weren't working. They lost their jobs. They weren't getting paid. The whole hotel industry was dead. The restaurant industry, everything. So our cases from Sharit Sedek, even though they may have not even got, they went into Sharit Sedek to, to examine, we had an extra 100 cases that, that those years. But if I could open in Bet Shemesh, I could get another 50 cases maybe because those people that wouldn't come or the, or the, or the Bikacholim area or these urgent care will send that patient to us. They don't even have to go to Sharit Center. So that's one of the things that we're looking to expand on. Appreciate it. Hey, well, yeah, one of our listeners will step up to the plate and have the office named after them. It'd be an eternal marriage for their, for their family. family. Yeah, absolutely. Beautiful. Thank you, Rabbi Fargus. Thank you very much, Rabbi. Thank you.
how do we know that a fetus is a is a live being? Because it talks about it in Parshas um, Yitzchak when he had sons when Rivka was pregnant. It discusses the two children. It says the children were fighting amongst each other in the belly, in the womb of the mother. It doesn't say the fetus was doing it. Mm. Children, it actually identifies what's there. Case two, there's a girl that's not married, a boyfriend or somebody, gets pregnant with somebody. And this is a case where Rav David, by the way, Feinstein and Rav Palm were our rabbinical advisors during the 30, 40 years, 30 years, 34 years. The lady's a young girl, 19, 
from girl that's pregnant, okay, not married. She's sitting in the office crying. And she needs a doctor says to abort. And she can't abort because she knows halacha. And, and, and she's healthy. She can't go, she wants a, a psak. She can't go to a rav in Eretz because her father could find out. Okay? They call me. He says, find out two things. One, who got her pregnant? I don't need the name. Is he married or not married? She calls back, no, it's a, it's a boyfriend. And it was a mistake. She's upset. Call her back. Does she love her boyfriend? Yes. Tell her to get married. So we paid for the wedding. And everything was nice and nice and rosy. Wow, that's incredible. That's it. influencing other people. You know, when people people tend to gravitate towards what they think everyone else is doing. And it's so yeah. important to provide an inspiring example of no, having a family, having even used to be, okay, have a large family was the leading edge. Now it's to have any family at all. So we we're not pro-life and we're not pro-choice. We consider ourselves pro-chance. What is a chance? We give the woman the chance to have the baby she wants. Our social workers make them understand values, how to deal with a child and how to enjoy their pregnancy and how to carry on to build families. What you're doing is so beautiful. Is It's one thing to say, God wants this and God wants us to have children and God, so forth. But at the, at the, when they have the children, it's, it takes responsibility. There's a lot of expenses and so forth. And you're actually showing up to cover those expenses. You're, you're not just inspiring them with moving words, but saying, here, here's a check. We say to ourselves that Israel's maiden resource is what? It's not its grapes. It's not its wine. It's not its oranges. It's its children. You know, Israel only flourished because of its children. But we used to have our social workers go to various colleges to explain the value of having babies. And because they see their friends having two or three children, all them secular religious uh, have had an average two to three children instead of zero or one from Russia. So that's our population growth. And that's basically what we do. Thank you.
So I get a case, the, the lady's a young girl, 19, from girl, gets pregnant, okay, not married. She's sitting in the office crying. A doctor says to abort, and she can't abort because she knows halacha. And, and, and she's healthy. She can't go, she wants a, a psak. She can't go to a rav in Eretz Yisrael because her father could find out. They call me. He says, find out two things. One, who got her pregnant? I don't need the name. Is he married or not married? She calls back, no, it's a, it's a boyfriend. And it was a mistake. She's upset. Call her back. Does she love her boyfriend? Yes. Tell her to get married. So we paid for the wedding. And everything was nice and, nice and rosy. Wow, that's incredible. It's influencing other people. You know, when people people tend to gravitate towards what they think everyone else is doing. And it's so yeah. important to provide an inspiring example of, no, having a family, having even used to be, okay, have a large family was the leading edge. Now it's to have any family at all. Our social workers make them understand values, how to deal with a child and how to enjoy their pregnancy and how to carry on to build families. What you're doing is so beautiful. Is It's one thing to say, God wants this and God wants us to have children and, God, and so forth. But at the, at the, when they have the children, it's, it takes responsibility. There's a lot of expenses and so forth. And you're actually showing up to cover those expenses. You're, you're not right. just inspiring them with moving words, but saying, here, here's a check. But we used to have our social workers go to various colleges to explain the value of having babies. And because they see their friends having two or three children, all them secular religious uh, have had an average two to three children instead of zero or one from Russia. So that's our population growth. And that's basically what we do. Thank you.